Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I am David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Kurt Levins. Hey, Kurt. Hello, David. Hello, Kurt. Loud and clear. Good to hear you, man. Yeah, good to hear you, too. So I understand it's a beautiful night on Pender Island. Yeah, it was a sunny seven-degree day here on the West Coast, so we're soaking in the rays while we can because the rain will show up at some point. So. <laughs> You're like a James Bond villain on your secret island hideout there, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that way the angry Oilers fans can't find me. <laughs> they can track you down on Twitter. Yeah, I'd like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It was a... I don't want to say it was a boring, tedious, typical, typically boring and tedious game against the Minnesota Wild, but it kind of was. Yep. And, uh, the Oilers lost two to one. I have to give credit though to the Wild. What a smothering defensive display right. that from the Wild. Mad. They are a sound defensive team, aren't they? And they just don't give you an inch. Like before we before we dig in on the Oilers, yeah, that's a good hockey team, and they played a very good game tonight. Yeah, I think Jack Michaels said heading into the third, I, I can't recall exactly, but it's like, you know, give up hope if the Wild enter the third with a one goal lead, they're not going to, they're not going to give it up. And I thought, oh, come on. Like, I mean, how many times have we seen the Oilers give up a third goal lead? But they just, the Oilers, there's just, there's like Swiss cheese on defense too much. And the Wild are the exact opposite. Yeah. They're like, um, yeah, anyway, they're just, they, they just clog up the system completely and it's clog up the play and. Well, I Good think the Oilers were the second highest scoring team in the NHL in the third period going into that game tonight. But until that final flurry, they only had four shots on net in the third. So. Well, all game long, the, well, the grade A shots were 11 for the Wild, six for the Oilers. And in the third period, the Oilers only got off two grade A shots. And I included Hyman's shot right at the end of the game. It looked like it hit her, uh, Flurry's pad to me as it was going through the crease. Yep, agreed. Uh, uh, the uh, tip shot, I mean, that that was a hell of a chance. That was their best chance, um, and we'll get to why there were so, not more really good chances in a second. So this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. In a low event game, we're struggling to come up with uh, some of these <laughs> some of these things tonight. But we'll start it off, Kurt. What is your good thing? Well, I'm going to go with the third line tonight. Uh, keep in mind, this is the first of back-to-back road games. So they got to go into Nashville and, and play the Predators tomorrow. Um, and as a result, you can't, you can't drain all of your guys. You can't be dog-tired going into that second game. And if you look at the ice time that that third line got tonight, Hamblin just under, not, under 10 minutes, Holloway just over 10 minutes, Pugliarvi just over 10 minutes. And that line had the highest 5-on-5 five five CF on the team tonight. So not only did they not get scored on, but for the better part of their shifts, they had the puck in the other team's zone and they gave the club minutes uh, so that they didn't just have to lean on the same six guys over and over and over again. I keep waiting for Dylan Holloway to be elevated in the lineup. I think he's earned it. Uh, we'll see if that ever happens. I can't quite figure that one out. Um, but, you know, in the, in the meantime, that third line tonight, they, they gave Jay Woodcroft valuable minutes, uh, you know, cycling the puck down low. They were a tough line for Minnesota to handle. Uh, didn't give up anything against, um, you know, and on a night where you don't have a whole lot of positives for the Oilers, those three young guys played a good solid hockey game. And I, and I think uh, uh, some or all of them deserve elevated minutes going forward. 
You know, I, I, I liked Holloway on that line. Um, he he thumped Jake Milton into the boards there early yeah. in the game. And um, he uh, and Pugliarvi had a really good shift cycling the puck in the second period. I thought Pugliarvi was out of sync that game. Like, and not the only oiler. And not just because of themselves, because of the wild. But they all, they all, they're... they're the passes always seemed a bit behind, you know, the shots were just a bit mm-hmm. off and their checking was a bit slow as a group. I mean, how many passes into the skates in that game? It was just endless. They just, it was just, they just were on the verge of maybe breaking through and they pass it into the <laughs> other guy's skates or just make him reach back for the puck when he needed, didn't need that. It was, it was, it was a pandemic of, of those kinds of plays where the owners were a little bit off. But I did like uh, Dylan Holloway a lot that game. I thought I agree with you, Kurt. I think he is showing enough. Um, he's, you know, I like Matthias Janmark fine, but I wouldn't mind seeing Dylan Holloway on that line. I like uh, Kyler Yamamoto fine, but I think Dylan Holloway has earned um, that kind of ice time that Yamamoto's getting. He's 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 fast. He's skilled. He hits. He can cycle the puck. Yep. You know, he was giving away the puck early in the season. I think he's over those jitters a little bit. and Those yips seem to be gone, yeah. And Matthias Janmark, for my money, I, I have lots of respect for who he is as a player, but who he is as a player is a bottom six forward. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. He's, a, he's a good peak. He's a he's turned out to be a good PK guy. I remember you taking some heat, Kurt, for suggesting that he would be yes. a good PK guy. <laughs> <laughs> I did indeed. How about that? <laughs> I remember that well. But you have proven to be correct, Kurt Levins. You were How right about, about that? that. And your Every critics so were... Incorrect. Every so often, the blind squirrel finds a nut. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Because then we'd have to go through the huge list for both of us of all the times we were wrong. And the, the, Precisely. The, that's, that's something. Let's not get into that. <laughs> let's not do that. So what's your so, good thing? Uh, I just thought, listen, there was only one reason the Oilers were in this game and had a chance to tie it up in the final minute when after Drew Settle drew, drew that penalty or, or got a penalty on him. <laughs> Stuart Skinner. I yep. didn't think he was to blame on either of the goals against. Um, that was the first was this tipped, tipped uh, slap pass into the slot by Boldy, and the second one is this Gaudreau gets a pass right on his doorstep, right across cross seam pass, right and in, right into the crease and slams it home. I mean, yeah, you, you might make a save on both of those or either of those, but those are. Those are fantastic uh, grade A shots. You know, these are five alarm shots. And, yep. and uh, but he, uh, you know, outside of those two goals, he made a couple great saves on Zuccarello, one on Jonas Brodin in the second. I mean, there wasn't a lot of action in the third that he had to face, but he made all the saves he needed to make. He kept that game to two goals. The Oilers only had to score three and they couldn't get past. They couldn't even get two. So he was... He's proving to be the number one goalie on this team, which is fantastic news for the Edmonton Oilers that someone stepped up. That was my hope this year that he, like, you know, between Campbell and Skinner, I thought it's a better chance they're going to find a starting goalie this year than even last year. When they also had, I thought, a fairly good chance of finding a starting goalie between those two guys. I thought they had a slightly better chance this year because these guys are more in their prime of their careers. Uh, and I was quite impressed with Skinner last year. He has obviously met all of our expectations and then some and made up for Jack Campbell's uh, really, uh, <laughs> well, let's not get into it again, but yeah. he, Stuart Skinner has got gotten the job done and he did so tonight. 
Yeah, and well, both guys have been healthy, right? Which is which was an issue we had last year. I think a lot of us suspected Mike Smith, when he was healthy, could be a very good NHL goaltender, but he was only he was healthy less than half the time, right? So that is a really good point, Kurt. And often overlooked in critiques of players, like people were slamming Yamamoto earlier this year. Well, we now know he was playing with, I think, a concussion. If I'm not mistaken, that's what it was. And and and. and very often when a player is in a defensive slump, like we saw Drysaddle before he went to the wing with McDavid. You know, Bob Stoffers alluded to the fact that Drysaddle's been playing with an injury. And, you know, he was getting eaten alive on defense for a while there. But there's there's reasons for this. Usually the NHL players, I mean, anyone who plays hockey at any level knows how the game is a meat grinder. It bangs you up and beats you up. And yep. uh, for these pro players, I'm astonished, actually, at the pounding that they take and the... Uh, keep going at it and going at it hard. I mean, of course, there's millions of dollars on the line, so there is some incentive, but uh, still impressive. Yeah, well, and you know, the, the, the thing is, once a, once an NHL player plays defense, they usually don't forget how to play defense. So if they're having issues without the puck, quite often it is an injury in the background, right? It's It, it didn't yeah. just slip their mind that they should back check. <laughs> <laughs> so... Remember that there was a great kids in the hall skit slipped my mind. Oh yes, uh, I recall all oh, the kids in the hall. They were fantastic. Yeah. They're back these on. Are the, these are the Daves we know. Yeah. yeah, they are back on the air on. I can't remember which network, and um, I won't say what I thought of their show. Their their reboot. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work out with comedy coming back. And maybe it was leave, leave a good thing alone. Yeah. Yeah, it's not always easy to recapture that kind of magic. Uh, okay, Kurt, uh, let's move on to our bad things. What is your bad thing? Um, you are right. Stuart Skinner gave this team a puncher's chance to win tonight. And I would suggest to you that even though, as per your stats, certainly the grade A scoring chances heavily favored Minnesota, but Edmonton had sufficient chances to win this game. In fact, twice in the third period, if not more, but the two times I'm going to talk about, the Oilers had the puck on their stick with an odd man rush in Minnesota zone. Once didn't get a shot at all. And another time got what's charitably considered to be a shot off the stick of Darnell Nurse. One was it was the three-on-one where Nurse kind of putted the puck on net. I think he was trying to pass it uh, and ended up just kind of putting it into, um, into Flurry's pads. And then the second time was a three-on-two. They didn't get a shot at all. And... David, tell me, if you have back-to-back odd man rushes with both McDavid and Drysaddle on that rush, don't you assume that you'll get at least a shot on both of them and probably a goal out of at least one of the two? I know I would, uh, but they came up with zeros both times. And that ain't going to happen much this year, but it was that kind of night. Um, the, the first one is the one that sticks with me because for a number of reasons, it was, it was so out of character for Connor McDavid, the play that he made. Um, he's, he's on the attack three on one with Leon Dreisaitl and Darnell Nurse. Who are you going to pass to? Yeah. He has an easy drop pass to Leon Dreisaitl. He, he knows, he's got to know he's there. Yep. I mean, he's not me on the ice. He's Connor McDavid. He knows who who is where and what they're doing. He and he doesn't pass the dry saddle. And instead, 
he passed the puck a little behind Nurse. And I thought that was why Nurse got the bad shot off because the, the pass wasn't in his wheelhouse. Maybe it couldn't have been. But then why are you why are you forcing a pass that's more difficult when you have Leon Dreisaitl Dres- scheming up behind you? I didn't understand the play from McDavid. Yeah. Now, the other one was when he went in. The, did he go charge into the slot? I'm just trying to think of the other uh, two-on-one. What happened there? Do you recall well, exactly what well, happened? Well, you're thinking of that one. I want to back up on the point you're making because I'm okay. agreeing with you. Uh, one of the reasons I think Darnell Nurse didn't get a good shot away is I don't think he expected the puck to come to him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think the whole He's rink just thought... Yeah. yeah, I thought the whole rink thought it was going to Leon Dreisaitl. And I'll be honest, David, sitting here on the couch with my wife, I turned to Kathy and said, you know, I don't mean to tell Connor McDavid what to do, but maybe you should give the puck to the two-time 50-goal scorer. Just maybe. Yeah, we should never tell. It's true. We should never. But but so we will ask Connor McDavid if we had a chance to question to question him. You know, why did you why did you pass to Drysaitel and not to Darnell Nurse? Because we lesser hockey players, we are befuddled and we would like to know. Maybe maybe Drysaitel is significantly injured. Like and and he because he didn't look good in this game. I I didn't think at all. Yeah, and maybe, and you know what? Maybe Connor, from his angle, saw something or didn't something that we see from our TV angle because they're different angles. So yeah. I'll, I'll, I, I guess I can give him the benefit of the doubt on this, but I, I go back to the fact that you've got two odd man rushes with those guys on the rushes, and all you get is one kind of a slap pass shot on it. Just not good enough. What happened on the second one? Do you recall exactly, Kurt? Like I can't recall exactly what happened. Just it, there was a it was a blur. It's a, like because they didn't get off a shot. It wasn't a McDavid who. <sighs> yeah, maybe maybe it's <laughs> disappointment and disgust that have clouded my my memory. I can't conjure up the replay. Yeah, it's in my notes as well, and I can't remember it any. Or is was that the stretch pass from Darnell? Uh, a stretch pass from Darnell. Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, moving on. I do know it was the same set of forwards on both two on one. Oh, and here, okay, here it goes. Just just after picking on Connor McDavid for his offense, and I will mention that of the six grade A shots the Oilers did get on net, um, he was made major contributions to five of them. Connor McDavid, not surprised. So on a night when there was nothing else going on, he he had you know he was in he was in there enough to to help them win the game on the attack but bruce on uh, excuse me kurt so used to bruce so i've been called worse <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's the beard uh gray beards as ken ken holland likes to say yes they're all on the cult of hockey ken the gray beards um <laughs> connor mcdavid had a rough night on defense early in the game he lets uh eric's eric's and eck alone on the slot for a dangerous shot he allows a wraparound, uh, I think, from Erickson Eck. And then on the um, the second wild goal, I, you know, it was just, he just didn't stay with his man. He was with Gaudreau up the ice. And as these good players will do, they get drawn to the puck. They look at the puck. They're watching the puck. And the puck goes by them sometimes in the defensive end. And a goal can result. Evan Bouchard was also involved in the play. It was a tougher play for him to cut out that pass, but it's still his job to cut out the pass. He failed yep. to do that. But really, if if Connor's on his man, lifting his stick, and, and it was just a matter of awareness because there was nothing stopping him. He had time to make the play. He just didn't stay focused enough on defense to make the play. Yeah, because it was Broberg that got caught pinching, right, which caused the odd man rush. Um, and McDavid had the presence of mind on the wheels to get back. You're right. It was just... 
he just got puck watching once he was back. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's talked about wanting to improve his defensive play. He's, I think, generally done so. He's a solid defensive center against tough competition in the NHL. I have no general complaint against Connor McDavid for his defensive play. I think he's a good defender. And I think when we see him in the playoffs this year, he's going to be an excellent defender. He's going to raise his defensive level to a level that to a place we have not seen it before. Both he and Drysaddle, if they're healthy, I expect to see that from them. But it's a long regular season. There's lots of plays. There's lots of plays, and it happens fast. And sometimes you just, you know, he even a player is fantastic and as conscientious on defense as McDavid has become. Lets up, and this is one of the occasions, one of the games actually, where he made a number of plays on defense that uh, resulted in great A shots against. Related but not, didn't you find that the Oilers looked like the more tired of the two teams tonight, David? Oh, way more tired. And that's and, weird and, because, and the weird ahead. thing is, Minnesota played last. They played Saturday night, and then they had to travel all the way from Vancouver back to Minnesota. So not only had did they have less rest, they even had a tougher travel schedule than the Oilers did. So it's a little bit of a mystery to me why Minnesota looked like the more energetic team on the night. I don't have an answer to that. I just, I just know the, the, the travel plan was in Edmonton's favor and they didn't seem to take advantage of it. And where's that thing where they're, they're back from a long road trip? Aren't they supposed to be tired and distracted on their first night back? Don't we hear that about they, the orders all the time? Yeah, they sure didn't look it, did they? What is it about them? Like roster after roster of wild players, coach after coach, starting with Jacques Lemaire. And this is a long time ago that Jacques Lemaire coached this team. They're always the same freaking team. They're yeah. always, this, it's always the same style of play. It's always the same defensive intensity and smart systems play and opportunistic scoring and good goaltending. It's always the same. And it is so frustrating year after yeah. year after year. I don't know what it is though. It's my, probably uh, my imagination, but uh, this is. No, I don't think so. <laughs> You're pretty, <laughs> I think you're pretty bang on. They've got one really exciting dynamic player who's fun to watch. Oh, but the yeah. rest of the team kind of looks like the wild teams that I used to go to Rexall Place and watch. And here we go, losing to Minnesota again. <laughs> so, uh, Okay, your number, Kurt. What is your numero? Three. Um, I believe the last, um, not the last three, but there was three goals in a row. Uh, that Edmonton has surrendered in Minnesota now. Two in the game 10 days ago, and one again tonight, where the goal was a result immediately of a lost face-off in their own zone and broken down zone coverage that followed. Uh, tonight, it was it was a power play goal where Derek Ryan lost the face-off. Now, losing the face-off is, isn't, you know, a criminal indictment. I mean, even good face-off men in the NHL only win 53, 54% of the draws. So the fact that Derek Ryan lost the face-off isn't, isn't a heinous crime, but all three goals going back to that game 10 days ago, there was a, a relatively clean face-off loss, but then the Oilers just took way too long, David, to find their marks in their own zone. And you saw tonight, Bang, bang, two crosses atop, atop the top of the box that broke down um, Edmonton's uh, defensive zone coverage in seconds and led to that power play goal. And, and I just don't get it because this was a team last year with the same coaching staff and most of the same personnel 
wasn't having that problem on the PK. Um, I know Jay Woodcroft said earlier today or yesterday in one of his avails that he thought the PK was coming around. I'm not so sure of that yet because the breakdown I saw tonight, I saw twice 10 days ago. They're still making that mistake uh, and they've got to fix it because um, what are they, 27th or 28th on the penalty killed in the NHL now? It's just killing them. Kurt, they are one solid defensive defenseman away from a solid PK. I mean, they have not replaced Chris Russell and Adam Larson on the PK. They missed those two guys badly. I mean, Cody Ceci's an adequate PK guy, but Chris Russell was exceptional, and Adam Larson was pretty good. And I would they say they to... missed Duncan Keith, too. Yeah, fair enough. Right. Fair enough. They do. They yeah. do. So they they have lost some key players on the on the back end. Nurse and CC are, you know, have been okay, but they can't kill it all. And and Barry and Kulak I, are not penalty killers in my view. I, I'm not sold on them as PK guys. Bouchard and and Philip Broberry might be. I, I I actually liked Philip Broberry's game increasingly. Here's one thing I noticed, Kurt, with, mm. with him. By the way, this is an aside. When the puck goes in the Oilers' end and he goes to retrieve it, we saw early in his career he would get bashed right through the boards <laughs> very often. Now he's using his 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 um, frame and his leverage and his strong skating. He he consistently takes shields the puck. The guy's coming in on his back. He shields him with his back. He takes the uh, blow from them, and he, he uh, shields himself so they can't push him, and he then fends them off. There's a little bit of room between the boards and him and he moves the puck if he's able to he's not losing those b- battles he's not getting crushed on them and this is just part of what he's learned as a pro player which is fantastic because some players never learn well uh, as, as you is. know uh young nhl players when they first come up often they don't realize how much time they have uh and sometimes young players don't figure out how to create an extra half or a quarter of a second which when you're playing at nhl speed can be the difference between a good play and a bad play. So, yeah, I agree. I think we're seeing some maturity in his game. Certainly the last four or five games, I think we've seen some of the best NHL hockey that that uh, that, that young fellow has played. I'm still not sure they're going to win in the playoffs with him on that pairing yet. But I also think that Ken Holland's going to be patient. He's going to probably uh, give him another 20 games or so before he decides to go in a different direction. So. That's, you know, it's interesting because I was thinking about this because, as I just said, I think the Oilers need this specific kind of player. Yep. Um, I'm not sure who he that that player replaces in the lineup. I mean, since Philip Broberry's come up, um, the questions about third pairing defense are kind of gone away. Nima Linen and and um, Murray were not. Not, they weren't answering the bell, and there was question, question, question. Who's gonna, who can do that job? He's actually doing that job, that specific job, pretty well. It's, it's an, it's a different job, which sometimes the third pairing D man does in killing penalties. Maybe they need to try him there, uh, for in these next 10, 20 games. Try Philip Broberry there and see if he can get it done. Maybe he can. You never know. Yeah. Um, and if he can't, then, then yeah, you're right. Then you make that trade, and he's the guy who's the seventh D man for the rest of the year or goes down to Bakersfield for a, for a little bit more. Yeah. Oh, or, you know, or it's, it's someone else who moves out of the lineup because there's other than nurse and CC. And I think Evan Bouchard, I mean, Kulak or Barry, they, they have been okay at even strength and Barry had been on a good run of games, but in the last little while, last few, two or three games, I haven't been as impressed with Barry and Kulak. And I wasn't tonight um, in, in this game and they're not. And again, I don't think, 
Tyson Berry certainly isn't a penalty killer. And I'm not sure that Kulak is either. And, and that's kind of in the job description for both of them. Yeah. No, I agree. I, th- I think Tyson Berry is an elite power play defenseman, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the fact that, you know, <clears throat> five on five on five tonight, Tyson Berry held his own. Um, but that's five on five. And I, and I agree with you. I think you, I think you want an Adam Larson, a Duncan Keith, a somebody like that, a Chris Russell out there. And, and I think a lot of people, uh, out there thought that that was a piece that this roster was missing. And I think we're seeing evidence of it now that indeed that is one of, one of the gaps here that, that even all their injuries come back, that's something they're still going to have to figure out. I, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think that's that one hole that they've got to fill at some point. Yeah, when Joel Edmondson's name came up, that kind of hit the spot for me. That's the kind of player yeah. I think that they could use. Uh, just quick, my numbers are just really quick. Um, they, okay. they go to the Wilds' dominance. and So these are numbers that are, um, they don't necessarily correlate with winning in the NHL. They're hits and block shots. Mm-hmm. But they do correlate with out-hustling and out-working the other team often. And it was 13-7 to 7 in block shots for the Wild and 15-11 to 11 for hits for the wild it wasn't a heavy hitting game although i thought it was a certainly a tight checking game yes. but in so in both those categories um the wild had an advantage and it just if it, there was a first to the puck uh stat they'd be they, they would have won that one too but really 100 yes really the the difference in the game i thought was the uh sound fundamental defense that the wild plays which prevented the orders from making good passes as much as anything mm-hmm. they just couldn't um you know, the reason a puck goes into someone's skates or just a little bit behind them is someone sticks in the way. You know, they, they got their stick there or they got their body there and you just can't make the easy pass that you're hoping to make. And that's what the Wild did. That's a, it's a very good hockey team. And uh, I'm not, they're not doing great this year, are they? They're not, uh, not Now, sure. they're just okay so far record-wise. But uh, I can see them being a tough out in the playoffs, can't you, David? <laughs> Certainly for they're- the Oilers. Well, they're built like a playoff team, right? Like, it's the, yeah. Who, who do they need to go get at the deadline? Cert, certainly not more defense or more toughness. I think they're good in those two areas. Yeah, I don't know if they have anyone coming back. Like, the Oilers do, of course, have a couple tough guys in Kane and Fogel coming back. Yep. Um, who, who will make a difference in a game like that? They're both physical, big physical players, especially Kane. Well, Kurt, uh, I want to thank you again. Uh, Bruce is, uh, he's sick tonight. He's uh, been battling a bad one. Um, we're not exactly sure what it is. It sounds like he's feeling a little better today, but um, thanks for, for stepping up here and uh, doing this. I'm happy to do my rusty stob and pinch it when called upon. <laughs> <laughs> Did he, was he a famous pit pinch hitter? Did he have yes. a record? Inch yeah, hits. Uh, not a record, but he was one of the great pinch hitters in Major League Baseball history. He was, of course, he was a regular La Grande Orange back, you know, when he played with the Expos in the early years. But then with, with Houston and, and with the New York Mets and then back with Montreal again, he was a pinch hitter extraordinaire. And I don't know if he even brought a glove to the game <laughs> in the last few years. He just showed up in the ninth inning and took took a couple of swings, and that's that's kind of how he played the last three four years of his career. But that's a that's another story in a different sport. <laughs> that was totally my favorite team, the Montreal Expos, and, uh, and I'm not a baseball fan any longer. I used yeah. to be a fanatical fan, but I was an Expos fan. Hey, I have an Expos, and I think this is correct trivia. It might be incorrect trivia. There right. was four young outfielders who came up to the Expos in the late 1970s. 
and I'm going to give you three of them, but the, there was a fourth one who looked at that time as a, as promising as Ellis Valentine, Warren Cromartie, and Andre Dawson, but he did not make it. Who is that fourth player? Ooh, and I, I thought, I thought you were going to give three other uh, names and and not give the Ellie Valentine because he's 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 a guy who never really lived up to his potential, right? Great player. No, yeah, he, oh, he had a few boy. good seasons. Because I, I, I remember, this... well, there was, I mean, Warren Cromartie, but he was a little bit later. Uh, Ron LaFleur wasn't a young guy who came in. They just had him as a free he agent for a year. Then Tim Raines came in, but that was after those guys. Yeah, uh, Tim Raines came. He was the next wave. That's right. Yeah. So, Boy, so I'm, I'm, I'm right around it, but I'm missing somebody. So, Well, this may be incorrect. My, my timing may be off with the uh, them all coming up. Maybe they didn't even all come up at once. But the player I'm thinking of is... Sam Mejias. Oh Lord, I I'll completely admit to totally having forgot Sam Mejias. Although I do have a baseball card of Sam, <laughs> <laughs> and I do no, remember not... him. I do remember him being with the club. But boy, that's you'd win a lot of trivia questions, David, with that one. That is, I and I think the reason I want is it's not really a fair question. He he's he's he, now that I see it, he's in a different class. Uh, so yeah, they were all on the same team at the same time. Mm. Um, Cromartie was twenty three, Dawson was twenty two, Ellis Valentine was twenty two. So I got that part right. But Mejias wasn't as good a prospect as the other ones. He was he actually had played with St. Louis already. He came from their organization and he was 25 that year. So he was significantly older, like not a, not an age when the the really great players break in like like those other three. Well, one of them became a Hall of Fame player. Cromarty became a longtime major league player. Valentine. Very good player, yeah. Valentine burned bright for a while and then not at all. But Sam he is yeah, so he's really not actually he wasn't an equal prospect to those other guys. So that's where my question was off. Well, I'll try to be quick with this, but I was in Olympic stadium in Montreal in the summer of 1978 to watch a double header between the Montreal Expos and the San Diego Padres. And the San Diego Padres had a young Dave Winfield in their outfield. Like he was just in his, like his second major yeah. league season. Ellie Valentine was playing for the Montreal Expos. And the Padres, Gene Tennis, who used to remember, played for those great A's teams in the early 70s. Gene Tennis had been acquired by the Padres. And Tennis um, hit a ball into the alley. And Ellis Valentine went into the alley and threw the ball uh, without a hop from the warning track and threw a Padres runner out at home plate that night. And my dad had gotten us and and my, my brothers and my sister tickets right behind home plate. And so we saw this big play at home plate and it was the summer of 78 and it was Ellie Valentine who made that throw from the gap from, from uh, right center field gap. And that guy just had a gun and never turned in to the great player that he could have been. And I, I would argue of all those guys, Andre Dawson turned out to be the best player, but Ellie Valentine, oh, yeah. boy, Ellie Valentine had all the tools. What a great player, great name too. I'm just reading as I'm just trying to figure out what happened. He had a shattered cheekbone. It says in 1980, 
And maybe that's what uh, was the difference for him because he, I, really, I don't know if he yeah. was ever the same after that. Yeah, I remember him having to wear that that jaw um, protector on his helmet after that happened. So. Oh, yeah. And here's the sad thing. He fought drug and alcohol addiction throughout his career, according to Wikipedia, which has uh, a source for that. So. I'm sorry to hear there that. But, uh, yeah. but boy, those young expos, they were exciting to watch. He works as a counselor at a local church and is a member of the Texas Rangers Alumni Association. So oh, sounds like he's turned it around a bit. Yeah. Good for Ellis Valentine. All right, <laughs> Bert, thanks for talking tonight. You betcha. Thanks, David. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>